Welcome to Leveraging Leadership, where we unpack the art of business leadership. I'm your host, Emily Sander, C-suite executive turned leadership coach. And today I'm excited because we are going to look at a sports coach and take some lessons learned about their leadership, how they led their team, that culture and their organization, and how we can apply that to the business world. And the coach we're talking about today is Phil Jackson. He was one of the winningest coaches of all time. Um, For those of you who don't know basketball, you have probably heard of someone named Michael Jordan. He was okay at basketball. He played for a while. He had some nice shoes that a few people liked. Um, So Phil Jackson famously coached the Chicago Bulls during the Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman era. And then later in his career, he went on to the LA Lakers and coached Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. So people love to play for him. All players from both teams, from all teams, love to play for him. And he was one of the most successful coaches going to multiple championships. So I love talking about this. I love pulling from different areas to learn about leadership. I also grew up playing sports, so I played basketball and soccer primarily. So some of these leadership lessons you learn just by being on a team and having to rely on other people and having to identify people's strengths and weaknesses really resonate with me because that was something that I experienced when I was young. The reason this topic came to mind was I was listening to an interview with the late, great Kobe Bryant, and he was talking about his time with Phil and what he learned from his leadership and from watching Phil and from from his experience of being coached by Phil. And three things really came out of listening to that interview that I think apply to business. So we'll go through those three items in terms of basketball, and then we'll talk about how you can use them in your business leadership. The three main things we're going to talk about are, one, tying your day-to-day activities to the overall mission or goal. Two, the importance of knowing your players really well. And three, this notion of benching the ego. Jumping into number one, Phil always kept the big picture in mind as he was going through his day-to-day. He kept his eye on the prize, and he would always say, my job is to win a championship. And in this interview, Kobe said, quote, his responsibility was to get the team to a place to win titles. It wasn't to appease one player or to look out for this other player. It was to get the collective hold to win a championship. So he would do whatever it took to make sure that would happen. So Phil would move his players into best position for the team to win. And there's a great story Kobe told to exemplify this. And it's when Shaq got hurt. So Shaquille O'Neal was one of their best players, and he was injured and was going to be out for a few games. And the Lakers were about to make a playoff run. They are about to go to the playoffs and try to win another championship. And Phil pulled Kobe aside and said, hey, Kobe, with Shaq out, I'm going to need you to turn on the afterburners. I'm going to need you to turn it up a notch and give all you have and lead this team and pull us through. And Kobe said, being Kobe, no problem. I got you, coach, and proceeded to go out and score 40 plus points a game for a series of games, which is unheard of. That's exceptional basketball playing talent. And someone like Kobe can do that. And Shaq got better and he recovered, was about to come back. Phil pulled Kobe aside again and said, hey, Kobe, Shaq's coming back. I need you to tamp it down a little bit. I need you to pull back. And at first, Kobe said he was, I was like, I was confused. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm scoring all these points. I'm playing all these, you know, playing well in all these games. I'm carrying the team. It's what you asked me to do. We're trying to win a championship. What are you talking about? And Phil said, I know that, but if you continue to play the way you're playing, we're going to lose Shaq and we need him to peak in about a month and a half. And what Phil was saying was, I don't care how many points you score right now. 
I need you to pull back so we don't lose Shaq in his motivation and his drive to get back in the swing of things, to ease back in and, and ramp up through his injury. So he peaks in about a month and a half when we're in the middle of these playoff games and we need everyone firing on all cylinders. So he said, I need you to pull back so the team can win a championship. Which leads to our second point, which is part of why Phil was able to build his team and coach his team so effectively is that he knew his players really well, and he would study them and read up on them. He was famous for watching them at practice meticulously. He would talk to them about basketball, about not basketball. Um, He knew what made them tick, and he knew what motivated them and made them confident. And conversely, he knew what discouraged them or deflated them. And he knew when they were unsure of themselves, he would keep a pulse on things all the time. And he knew when one of his players was just a half beat off and what that particular player needed to get back in the game and perform at their best. And this even meant using using this knowledge of personalities to manipulate things a little bit, but manipulate in a good way. And Kobe again told about this time when Phil saw the friction between Kobe and Shaq, and he said, okay, I'm observing that, I'm seeing that, I'm picking up on that. How can I use that? How can I use that to help the team? And Kobe was describing the differences between himself and Shaq, and he said, I, Kobe, have a passion to play the game, so come hell or high water, it doesn't matter what's going on in my personal life, it doesn't matter what's happening over here with another team, I show up and I perform no matter what. Shaq is more emotional. He's more relational. He, if something's going on outside of basketball, he might care about that. If another team doesn't, a team member doesn't think well of him, it might rattle him and he might not play as consistently. And so therefore, Phil intentionally put a wedge between himself and Shaq and Kobe. And so Phil moved closer to Shaq and kind of ignored or gave a little bit of a cold shoulder to Kobe, bringing himself closer to Shaq. And he was able to better manage Shaquille and better manage the situation overall. And it was kind of funny because in the interview I was watching, Kobe said, I figured out what was going on. I knew I said to Phil, I know what you're doing, bro. I know you're being a, a, a jerk to me on purpose. He used a different word, a jerk to me on purpose, but it's okay because Kobe said, I recognize that that was Phil's ability to manage the team. And he said, looking back on it, it was absolutely brilliant. Our third point, which builds off the first two is benching the ego. So putting aside your ego for the sake of the team. And to give some context for this, Phil was known as the quote unquote Zen master. And he brought mindfulness practices and spirituality elements into the game. And some of those things are more prevalent now, like meditation and visualization and caring about people's headspace. But back then, it was very new and a very different way to approach coaching a basketball team. So you think about you had these big athletic basketball players who were used to training hard and lifting weights and running drills and running up and down the court. And here was Phil bringing a Tai Chi master to practice. So a Tai Chi master would walk into center court and he would invite the players to take off your shoes and close your eyes and think about monk gazing at moon. And Kobe said, the first time this happened, I didn't know what was going on. And I reluctantly, slowly sat down on the floor and crossed my legs. And I would kind of peek out of one eye and see if the people around me were actually doing this. 
but eventually he bought into it and eventually the team bought into it because he saw the results in his performance and the team's performance. And he eventually called Phil, again, a genius for doing this and recognizing how Phil took the game to a different level. And Kobe said, quote, he's a genius in every sense of the word. I bought into the meditation, the deeper connection that exists within the game. And if you look at our games, we're never rattled ever because we're always in the moment, in the present, always extremely calm, looking at the reality of a situation and not letting our emotions cloud our execution. And I love that last part, not letting our emotions cloud our execution. And when you think about it, when a player is in this high pressure, high stakes game, what's running through their head is really important. So is it, how do I look? Am I, do I, am I messing up? Like, how do I, how do I get my stats to go up? Well, how will I compare to my teammates? What will this mean for my career? Or are they in a much calmer space and more level space and saying, okay, I'm going to park all that other noise and I'm going to be present and attentive to what has to happen right now for the team to be successful and ask, how can I best contribute to that? So all of that is context or a container for this notion of benching the ego. And benching the ego was really big to Phil. He would talk about the game not being about the players or even a coach. It was about the collective team as a whole. And that was bigger than any one person. And he would say that included himself. Phil would say, I'm the head coach. I'm the top dog, but I'm also part of this team. And if there are times when benching my own ego is best for the team, that's what I needed to do. So he would work to ingrain this mentality into any organization he was a part of. Okay, we've gone through the three ideas in a basketball setting and some examples there. How can we apply these principles to the business world and help us get better at, as business leaders? So number one, tying your day-to-day to the overall mission. Phil would say, my job is to win a championship. What is your championship? What is your team's championship? And do they know it? If you ask them, what's our team's objective? How do we know if we're doing good? Would they be able to answer? And would you get similar answers? Would they be generally, yeah, in the same direction? Or would you get wildly different answers and some blank stares? So try that with your team this week. Try that and see what you get. Number two, knowing your players really well. Phil knew each one of his players really well and sometimes better than they knew themselves. Do you know your team? Do you know what it takes to motivate and encourage Maria? Do you know how to light a fire under Sean? Can you tell when something isn't quite right with Alex, something's off and you might want to open up a conversation? There's lots of different ways this can come up, of course, but one good question to ask here is, do you know what this job means to each person you're working with? Meaning people can be at different stages in their career. They can have different stuff going on outside of work. Uh, For example, you know, this could be someone's dream job. They could have worked 20 to 30 years to get to this. Like, this is it for them. Great, fantastic, good to know. For someone else, this job could be to pay the bills. They could be going to school for something else entirely. Great, fantastic, good to know. Do you know your team? Thirdly, benching the ego. Phil would espouse this wherever he went, whatever team he was on. How ingrained is the notion of benching the ego in your team? And there's two ways to think about that or apply that. The first is with yourself. So are there times when benching your own ego would help the team be more successful, would serve them the best? And that can be a hard thing to ask and answer, but sometimes we have to look for those opportunities when we can take ourselves out of the equation for the better of the whole. Second, think about the group you're managing and take inventory of where they are on this today. Are there some 
big egos with some big personalities that are only thinking about themselves and it's causing a distraction and it's detrimental to the group. Or, no, 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 things are pretty good. Everyone's rowing in the same direction. There's camaraderie among the people and a person is willing to sacrifice something of themselves for the greater good. Great. With that information, use that as an indicator for where you might want to spend some time and energy. So let me take time to course correct and get our team pointed in a different direction than it is now. Or, no, 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 things are going well. Let me make sure I'm maintaining that and reinforcing and recognizing the actions and behaviors and those moments of teamwork that make the team shine. All right, so one, two, three. What's your championship? Do you know your team really well? And are you benching the ego? And with that, that is a wrap on this episode. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you next week on Leveraging Leadership. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 